I'm Jennifer Palmer, I'm the host of Online for Authors. Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast. Online for Authors has come under the management of Visibility Pod. Visibility Pod manages the podcast as well as all of the guest and host booking and communication to get the episodes scheduled, up and running, and posted on to various platforms as well as creating all of our wonderful content. I'm currently a visibility strategist with Visibility Pod and offer coaching. Some coaching is offered via live visibility strategy sessions. Take those in and see if working with Visibility Pod, me as a strategist, is a fit for you. Email visibilitypodcasts at gmail.com. I think we're all good now. Good morning, Dr. Cromie. Welcome to the Online for Authors podcast managed by Visibility Pod. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, I know it took us a little while to get it scheduled, and I apologize for that, but it's I guess it's a good problem to have. It is. It is. There's always always good problems to have. It's how you work through those problems that uh, make the big difference in the end, right? There you go. I hear your leadership skills speaking through already. <laughs> So today we want to get to know you a little bit better. Are you okay if I call you Rick or do you prefer if I call you Dr. Cromie? Uh, call me Rick. That's fine. And how would you like me to call you? That's the important part. <laughs> Jen works good. Jen works all right. Okay. Very good. Jen it uh, is. So I just want to share a little bit about you before we get started. Um, for listeners, it's always great to know about the guest before we get into more of a conversation, which I understand is going to be, oh, you know, you've got so much information to share. So it really could go any direction. But I want to share that you're a cultural explorer, a social historian, and a generational futurist. You use historical insights and cultural inspiration to empower audiences to rethink, reimagine how they lead, teach, pastor, and parent. Yeah. That's my it. goodness. <laughs> my you read goodness. it just like I wrote it. I can't believe I wrote all that. You're right. There's a lot of stuff there to chew on, isn't there? Yeah. Well, and speaking of writing, I mean, you do a lot of writing. You've got just a few books, and yeah, but you've got 10 or so now. Yeah, I think I'm actually, I have five, five or six that have been nationally published, actually internationally published now. Uh, they're available in print, although a few of them are now out of print because they've been out so long. Uh, but, uh, I have a lot of eBooks that I do and I write every single day. In fact, I just got off of a two week vacation in Montana and all I did every day was write a, a journal about my experiences and it'll probably become an eBook somewhere along the line. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of them. In fact, I got very close to Canada in a couple spots. Got well, Montana is quite close. I mean, it's a, it's a hot spot for us Canadians, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, used to be quick tip across the border. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, in addition to your writing, though, you have a doctorate, doctorate in leadership mm-hmm. and emerging culture. And you've traveled a bunch um, around the world speaking on culture and faith and history, education, leadership topics. Is there anything you felt like? It's kind of that burning thing you want to lead with today. <laughs> well, my my area of expertise, the the thing that kind of captures a lot of people's attention is I deal a lot with natural motivation. 
I, I help inspire leaders and teachers, again, pastors and parents, because I come out of the church world myself. I was a pastor for many years and taught ministry at the college level for a lot of years, ministry and leadership. And in the last you know decade or so, I've been you know really reinventing myself as far as what I do. And I've become more of a, of a social cultural historian in the last uh, few years. And along that line, I've become a, as well as a futurist. So I deal a lot with helping people understand where culture is shifting and how it's going, but it still gets back. A lot of people like to get back, but well, how do I motivate? How do I inspire? How do I get people to do what I want them to do? And that's raw leadership. And and I prefer uh, natural motivation to gimmicks and guilt and shame and all the different ways we can manipulate people to to do what we want them to do. I love that. Okay. So let's get it clear. It's motivate, not manipulate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And it's a sensitive issue, uh, especially now you use this term and I just love this. I'm stealing it. Um, (laughs) In the coming of age years, it's extremely Mm -hmm. important that we learn um, to be motivated and not manipulated in those years, because I I think it goes to, um, you know, the rest of, the way we interact throughout our life. Right, right. Yeah, those coming of age years actually comes out of my most recent work on generations and technology. I've been studying generations and generational analysis for, oh my goodness, almost 40 years. But, uh, you know, I've really been kind of blending in with technology and how technology frames and shapes us. And, you know, here in the States, we have a lot of craziness and I'm sure it's really an international problem as far as how we define generations. And, mm-hmm. and you know, here we have played, you know, names like Gen Z and Gen X and, you know, millennials and boomers. Those are kind of the classic ones that we deal with. And, yeah, you know, I just, I've never been happy with those tags and terms. And, you know, the coming of age years are between the ages of 10 and 25. That's really when we go through all the big stuff, whether it's biological change, emotional change, spiritual change, uh, mental change, all those changes happen. You know, we co- commonly call it puberty, but by 25, we're pretty well set. And yet it's in that period of time where we also have a technology what I've, what my theory is, is there's a technology that's popping. And so every generation has a different technology, maybe two that are popping during those coming of age years and really make us who we are. We're, we're not boomers. We're the television and space generation. Uh, We're not Gen Xers. We're cable television and, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, gamer generation. We're not millennials. We're the personal computer, cell phone and internet generation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, in, in reading, so I'm just going to give the name of your book and the yeah. title. So it's what, what you want, the one we're talking about today. This is the right. one that you actually um, came out in print version in May 26 of 2020. And it's called Gen Tech, an American story of technology change and who we really are. So when you were explaining uh, the different titles of the different years that we were born or decades that we mm-hmm. fall under. And I think, I guess, again, it's like a 20 year period um, that we kind of group together to, to give yeah. these tags to the ones that have been given over the years that I was familiar with before reading your book uh, were not, you really have to just go and do research after mm-hmm. learning, uh, you know, this Gen X. Well, what the heck is Gen X, mm-hmm. right? And when you put your terminology around it, you would call Gen X. 
Uh, again, the cable television generation uh, was, you know, we, we, we grew up on cable TV. We grew up on the game, video gaming technology. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, had a bit of the space uh, technology as well uh, impacting this. So it just depends whether or not you're an early gen, you know, if, if you're early in that context or you're late in that context. You know, I'm a very early Gen Xer. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like Gen X, because it, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a, a crazy term. But to call me, you know, I'm, I'm part of the space generation. I get that, you know, because I grew up my first recollection on planet Earth of, of anything beyond my little world in Lewistown, Montana, where I grew up, was sitting around a television set watching a man put his foot on the moon. That was my first cultural memory. And, and then when I think, you know, you go 10, 15 years in the future and you've got the, you know, the space of, of or the, the Challenger explosion, you know, that becomes my bookend events. You know, man stepping on the moon and then the explosion of Challenger, which killed a teacher in space. You know, that was such an amazing moment. You know, that changes that really defines my generation. We're, we're a lot like that. Uh, those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s were a lot like a rocket ship that's taken off with a lot of promise, but we've always felt like there's going to be this explosion that's going to happen. And and we might be actually experiencing that right now. See, this is the cultural analysis going on. COVID has totally rearranged the world. And now, right, you're seeing a complete, at least in the States, I don't know how it is up in Canada, but down here, gas prices have totally gone out of control. The economy well, is okay. collapsing in many ways. And that has created the moment, you know, I'm upper end. I'm about five years, six years away from retirement. And none of those things that are promised to me that all my seniors got when they retired, we don't see them coming. We see the explosion. We see our generation has always seen this thing as, as coming to a, a, a great big crescendo moment where we have to now pay the piper. And uh, we're the generation that has to lead out of that. Well, and you actually refer to what I think um, the pandemic falls under is mm -hmm. that those uh, those events that are major prolonged crisis events that rearrange the landscape. Yeah. Yeah, and I do, do believe that the pandemic that uh, began, we believe, in 2019 is that. Yeah. I do believe it's one of those uh, those types of events. Yeah, and, and see, in the States, we've had a number of, of things that have also happened. You know, in 2020 was the, the big George Floyd thing that, uh, you know, and that created a whole – there were a lot of social movements that blew up out of that one, Black Lives Matter and such, and – and everything is just shifting right now. And for those of us who like solid ground in our culture, it, everything is moving. It's like a it's like an earthquake. Uh, in fact, I, I do a lot of work and, and have done a lot of study on Mount St. Helens. And one of the things I compare our cultural change to is Mount St. Helens over there in Washington State, because in 1980, it we we could we knew something big was happening, something was coming, but we didn't know what it was. A lot of people ignored the warning signs. They regretted that. But this mountain blew up, and it's never been the same since. Now it's come back in a different way. It's beautiful. It's still beautiful. It's a gorgeous mountain, but it's not the same mountain. And that's how you have to look at these massive cultural shifts. They rearrange the landscape, and we don't come back to what we had before. There is not going to be normal 2018 again. That's gone. 
You know, we have to get and, used and to normal. the new normal. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, we can talk about normal, like a lot of the things that you talk about, because I fall under the uh, the Gen X also. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't actually feel like I fit any of the terminology at all. Any of the, um, I wasn't really heavy into television. I wasn't really heavy into media. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's me, I'm kind of like this outlier where I don't really kind of like, what was that? <laughs> like yeah. I didn't even know that happened. You don't but, have to be into it personally to have that media impact who you are. And, and that's what's important. Cable television changed how we did news. It changed totally. how it changed how we watched sports. It changed how we listened to music, MTV. You know, everything shifted with the cable television network. Uh, and and that, that, I think, is, is what we have to look at. You may not have ever, you know, I talk to people all the time and say, well, I never listened and watched any of those shows. Or, or yeah, that's true. They, if you didn't have cable, you couldn't have that. But in the greater culture, it was shifting and changing. And eventually it catches up to you, you know. Yeah, I think that's important to highlight because, you know, I may not, like you say, I may not feel like I even know some of the events that were mentioned um, or that you cite that are, you know, important because they did happen. But a lot of it too happened in, uh, you know, it's very U.S. focused and I'm Canadian. Yes. But they it is are an American story. My yeah. my title actually says that it's an American it story. It does. It does. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so, but I do remember like, um, you know, when Elvis died and I remember, you know, Pac-Man and, uh, you know, these <laughs> things. And so, yeah, there's, even though they may not have been a very large core part of my life, they were a large core part of society. And I think that's the bigger part, especially with, you know, the social aspects. Right, you right. Know, the, well, the historical impact on societies as a whole. Right. And that's where I think technology helps us out. Mm. Uh, obviously, Canadians are fairly close in technology to Americans. Oh, and, yeah. and that, you know, so you don't have to go through the same types of of social historical events like Elvis and such to have a, still a, a common ground of, Oh, Hey, we had television, you know, we had, we had cable television. We had, uh, we had in some forms or another space technology impacting us because we were watching satellite and, and we had all that type, you know, if we use GPS today, you're using satellite technology, uh, yeah. so, so you don't have to have space being part of your story as Americans do, but it has the technology has impacted you. And I do think it has uh, uh, you know, when you look at these generations, you do have to look at it more through a, a for lack of a better term, a civilized um, uh, perspective, because, you know, if you go to other parts of the world, I go to Africa and been traveled to Africa and, and in that neck of the woods, they're way behind. Although I actually experienced the shift in the smartphone in Africa. Uh, when I first went to, uh, where was it, Tanzania back in 2015, all they had was the old flip phones. And yeah. we we were all into the smartphones at that point, but they, they had no idea. And, and we couldn't really use smartphones there either when we were there. But uh, when I was in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, the Ivory Coast, uh, what was that, 20, 2019, 2018, 2019, it had shifted. And now every, they all have, Africans all had these smartphones, at least in in. Cote d'Ivoire. And what was interesting was they're walking down the streets and they, they don't have 
they're still walkers. Most of them still walk they, and ride their bikes. They don't have a lot of transportation like we do. And they're walking across the street, looking at their phones. And I saw one guy almost get run over. And mm. they're all worried about how the smartphone is going to totally change their world. And yet at the same time, they're recording everything I say from the stage. It, it was just, I, I watched that transformation it literally happened before my, my eyes. And it was, it was insightful. Yeah. I, I just, it's profound in so many ways. And you also believe uh, that millennials um, will actually get reframed historically. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I, you know, I would love to see the millennial generation get reframed. Uh, although, you know, their name at least is somewhat accurate because they, you know, uh, they were born in the 80s. Early 80s was about when they started to to track it. Uh, I've never been able to get down and get the exact um, uh, to, to research this out exactly to find where I, you know, it's one of those things where you hear it and you you write it and you say it for a long time. So maybe I actually just believe this. But there was a study, I believe, in 1982. And I think it comes out of Strauss, Neil Howe and William Strauss's work. Um, but uh, that in 1982, there was a study of, I think it was a thousand, maybe 2000 babies uh, born into, in 1982. And they were going to track them, a longitudinal study all the way to the year 2000. And they called that the millennial project. And the reason I think it's Strauss and Howe is because Strauss and Howe are the ones who put the millennial tag on that generation in 1991. You know, that's when they, they called them the millennials and that name stuck. Um, Thankfully, their name for Gen X didn't stick with us, but uh, that was a different Gen X got stuck on us, not their name. But I mean, and that's the problem with generations and the tags, too, is that everybody's doing it. And if you can be the first one to the to the the trough with the good generation name, you win. I have hopefully, you know, millennials might be a little bit long to change that name, to be honest with you. But what I hope to see is a shift in how we look at Gen Z. Gen Z is better known as the iTech generation. Mm -hmm. They cut their teeth on iTechnologies, iPod, iPad, iPhone, iWatch, all those iTechnologies, social media. The Apple newest products. <laughs> yeah, and, and the newest generation is, is cutting their, their teeth on robotics. So I call yeah. them the robo generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's it's just different. Yeah. It's fascinating. So two. This this comment that you made is it kind of hung with me. It says, okay. uh, "We have, well, are we happily? Let's try this again. We happily live and thrive inside chaos." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. In my house, we definitely do. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. I have long argued. This is kind of a philosophical thought, but you know, we have so many people they want to live a balanced life. You know, you have this yeah. idea of balanced. Uh, and we want to live a life of peace. Uh, but just think about the word balance for a moment, because if you think about uh, a, a tightrope, a guy who walks on a tightrope, uh, they're, they're, they're constantly going left and right with the big, long pole to keep their balance. And even if you're walking, we don't think about this, but when you just a natural walk, you're literally going side to side. You know, yeah. we are never really totally in balance at any time in our life. You know, we're all, uh, we're always uh, correcting to center, right? Yeah, we're always correcting. Now, what we hope to do is stay somewhat in the middle there, so there's some some semblance, some uh, uh, some thought that at least I'm living somewhat of a balanced life. But you know, there's but it's when we get to the extremes that we really feel the heat, when we real feel we really feel the losses, when we really feel the 
the pain that comes. You know, if you walked on one foot for a long time, that mm-hmm. that leg and that foot would develop, that heel would develop pain and and even um, dysfunction. So, you know, when I look at the balanced life, same thing with chaos. We live in chaos and, and we live happily in chaos. Uh, there's chaos all around us. The internet is nothing but chaos when you right, think about right. it. Right, right. I like how you put that. <laughs> you know, and we happily live there. Yeah. You know, I hate people say all the time they say, I hate social media. And I say, Yeah, but you're on it, aren't you? Oh yeah, I like social media. Hate <laughs> it, hate it, love it, love it, hate it. Yeah. Well, and then I know you refer a lot to Strauss and how in in your uh book, in in so I'm gonna say Gentech. Because I don't say the name of books often enough, I've noticed in my videos. So I'm going to make well, sure. thank you for that. Yes. <laughs> so um, with regards to that, like, how did you come across their research? Well, how is it that they came into your space? Yeah, well, I was, uh, in 1991, I was coming out of uh, the local church world, and I was becoming a, I, that was 92, I actually became a professor, and and I started to teach uh youth culture. And that's really where it started. I was looking for some help on understanding, you know, the generations that were coming, the newest generation. And and I ran across Neil Howe and William Strauss and this book called Generations. And it's a big, thick book. It really is. It's not a small book. And it's it's I just started reading it. And what was profound about it was up to that point, we always looked at generations kind of like a, a ruler, you know, generation followed a generation, followed a generation, followed a generation. Uh, but they looked at it as more of a cycle. Mm-hmm. Generations were in, in a, in a wheel. And just like the year has four seasons to it, we have a spring, a summer, a fall, and a winter. There are winter types of generations and there are summer types of generations. There are spring type of generations and there are fall types of generations. And they look again, they take the same view I do that about every 20 years, you have a new generation that rises. And that's a developmental idea. That's nothing new. Even the Bible, you know, when it talks about generations, it talks about it in 20 year segments. So, I mean, you can look at it like that. It, it, It works. But from their perspective, just developmentally, you know, we look at the human lifespan. Every 20 years, we have a new part of life. We, we, the first 20 years is youth, childhood and youth. And then you have young adulthood for the next 20 years. And then from 40 to 60, that's middle adulthood. And then elderhood is 60 plus. I mean, so it makes sense. And we do most of our birthing in our 20 to 40 year range. So, you know, that, that makes it. And, and and they just what they did that was interesting though was they said there was a crisis. So you take a wheel and about you put four generations together, you have eighty years. About every eighty years, there's a crisis that totally disrupts, changes everything. And when they looked at it through the American story again, that's kind of again where I'm coming from. You see this every eighty years. There's this blow up crisis. We're in one right now in America. Yeah. Well, in a yeah. couple of years, yeah, yeah, years into it, and so there's you know the ones that have been born. Um, let's talk about the impact on uh, the ones that have been born, say maybe two, three years after, you know, the initial pandemic, and mm-hmm. then what the ones that are maybe age five. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Like well. Yeah, cultural memory, memory is going to be key to this. And in in fact, that's a big argument I make as well, is that if you really want to know what separates a generation, don't look at what they can remember, look at what they can't remember. 
There is always an event. And again, in the American story, that's pretty easy to see. Millennials, for example, cannot remember the Challenger explosion. Uh, But Gen X, we can't remember John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963. You know, we, we were just we weren't we weren't old enough to remember that. Yeah. Uh, the boomer generation in America cannot remember Pearl Harbor and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the, the atom bomb, you know, and it just goes on and on every 20 years. The current generation, they don't remember September 11th, 2001, you know, a yeah. horrific day here in America with with the terrorist attacks in New York City and and, and D.C. So. You know, what's happening now is we are seeing a generation that's going to be born that aren't going to remember the COVID moment, (laughs) you know, and that's going to be different. And what I look at, I I also think that when you throw in the technology here, I call it hair technology, uh, you know, and and, and it's a great acronym when you think about it, not not because I'm bald and and needs need hair, but because uh, uh, hair technology is a great acronym for the three technologies that are going, that they're already emerging. Uh, but it's, it's holograms, holographic technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, H-A-I-R, holograms, artificial intelligence, robotics. And the, those born since the year 2010, you know, the, they went through this little COVID moment as children, very young children. So their recollection of COVID is going to be minimal, but anyone older than that, you know, that's where the eye the techers and or if you want to call them Gen Z or whatever, that's where they're going to have more of a significant memory and everybody else older, obviously. But the younger ones, those those 10 and under, you know, they're going to be able to come through with a little bit different memory, but they also have a different technology. And by 2030, this world will be populated by robots and 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 such, and and holograms will be everywhere, and artificial intelligence will be as you know, it's it's common. I mean, it's it's already there. It's coming. Um, I'm having an argument today on Facebook with someone who doesn't like robot lump umpires because that's the newest thing. They're trying out umpires in baseball games in the Pacific Coast League, and these robot umpires are. Because that's how they learn the game. They're artificial intelligence. They're learning it, and they're calling better balls and strikes. And I have a lot of people say, I don't like that. I go, okay, yeah, I get that. Also, also they'll be calling everything. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to play a game when you call everything. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, when I look at baseball, though, and I'm a huge baseball fan, I think, wait a minute, technology has always been part of this game. There was a day when people didn't like radio being done. They didn't like television being done. They thought that perverted the game of baseball because baseball was a local sport. You know, if you lived in Brooklyn, you went and went and watched the Brooklyn Dodgers. You didn't, yeah. you know, you now you can watch the Los Angeles Dodgers anywhere in the world on any given night if you want uh, by television and by uh, internet technology, cyber technology. Yeah, it just changes us, and I, I guess I'm more of a of a person who believes that you know it, it it doesn't have to change the game, but if it improves the game, why not? You know, yeah. I think I think I actually think robot umpires would improve the game, in my opinion. I think they would greatly improve the game because you know umpires often get in the way of the game, uh, and not just baseball, but a lot of other games, football. <laughs> you know, and such, especially. And and literally, uh, like there's many jumping out of the way. Oh, have you seen some of the hockey games lately? (laughs) Yeah. 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 
Yeah. <laughs> Stanley, Cup, Stanley Cup playoffs here. It's like, I mean, you have to jump. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would like to see that robot jump. <laughs> well, but see, that's, again, that's that's what's interesting is the the strike zone, like a, take baseball, the strike zone, you don't even have to have a robot there. It's artificial intelligence that creates the strike zone based upon things that's in the actual uniforms of the of the player. When he gets up to bat, his uniform signals where the strike zone's at, and then if the ball goes through the strike zone, it's a, it's it's a strike. You don't have to have a human being back there at all. It's no. not about putting a robot back there. It's yeah, about it's using artificial robot. intelligence to make the call. You see the same thing at the baseball at the bags. So I, I think that's kind of a you know because a lot of umpires do muck up the game. Uh, they, and it, <laughs> Sorry, I had to make it a little lighter and funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I do want to just read this because you've said that um, your book, the thesis for the book is rather simple, right? We are a product of certain technologies that shape us between our 10th and 25th birthdays. And, uh, you know, you've done a great job with providing us so much uh, in the way of resource research, definitely, uh, you know, statistical cataloged information that substantiates that in your book. And I, I think it's a great read. And, you know, it's, it takes some time, definitely, you know, put the, put the, the time aside to give it the, the time it takes to read it. Cause it's not, it's not going to be a, a one day read in any regard, I don't think, but I do believe that many more people will enjoy it very much. I've actually heard both. I've had I've had some of my my hosts tell me uh, they 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 got into it and they didn't they didn't know what they to expect and when they started reading it they couldn't put it down which oh every author God. wants to hear you know I can't well, put it down go, th- yeah. there's a difference between putting it down and needing to sleep it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I you know if uh, if I could yeah spend more time the really the really cool part about GenTech that I love is that you don't have to read the whole book right to get the gist. You, you read the f- opening chapters to get the idea of the theory behind GenTech and then just go to your generation. Start off with your generation and just go go to that chapter and read that chapter. Read about who you are. And then from there, read about who your parents were. Read about who your children are. You know, that's where it gets fun. Uh, and then if you want to, to go crazy, hey, read the whole book by all means. <laughs> I think that there's a benefit to those, uh, you know, as far as uh, creating community, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you're an entrepreneur marketing your business to know where your target market is in what demographic yeah. uh, of your, you know, gen tech uh, tags, your technology and generation tags that they fit in. So it's definitely a great resource in that regard. And you've said, I mean, technology shapes the personality and creates our cultural awareness um, so, you know, when we need a little bit more awareness, you've definitely got a resource for us. Yeah. The technology matters to every generation. It's how we communicate, play, learn, and lead. And you've said technology is what truly shapes a generation. And you've done a great job of showing us how. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, like I said, it's a, for me, it's a fascinating topic. You know, it's in fact, I actually think of all the books I've written. It's it's not only the most relevant book; it's probably the best book I've ever written. And you know, I just I enjoyed reading uh, writing it. And yeah. uh, you know, I hope people enjoy reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. But you know, it's good stuff. 
Well, let's talk about this book when you wrote it. I mean, it mm-hmm. it didn't it wasn't a short time period that it took you to write it in. It was over a period of years. Well, yes and no. I mean, I'd been studying all this for for obviously you know almost three decades, three and a half decades, four decades. Uh, so you know, I already had a lot of the thoughts, and I'd been talking about it. I do a lot of workshops on it. I do a lot of speaking on it, and and so I, I'd already I've been formulating the thoughts. My publisher, when I you know, it was one of those things where I wanted to wait till I had a publisher on the hook before I actually wrote it. And when I got my publisher, and they said yes, and we want it in four months. I think they gave me a four month time to write it, and I went, ooh, you know. And I had it mapped out initially that I'd have to re- do a chapter a week, basically. And I had written already in the proposal to the publisher, I'd already written the first three or four chapters. So I was good there. But when I got into actually researching out each generation, and it, it was a lot easier when we got when I got into later generations, you know, my generation and, you know, millennials, those ones where I, were, I was familiar with a lot of stuff. I had been talking on it. But when I was doing those early generations, because I start the book in the year 1900. Yeah. So... I mean, those generations, I had to do a lot more research on. And for me, it's all about the stories. That's what I, that's what I love about this book. It's about the stories that are really behind the technology. You know, when you, when you start looking at uh, the space generation and it's a great, you know, you have to go back and look at rockets. And when you realize that the American story with rockets and with space and putting a man on the moon is really because of Germans and World War II. I mean, that's that's that story. You you can't write a better story than that, you know. Than there seems that. to be always a tech race or some sort of a, we got to beat them to it kind of a yeah. <laughs> strategy with some of these things. But definitely, you know, there's uh, you've compiled a lot of research, done a lot of analysis. I mean, several conversations with lots of different people uh, to, to make it happen, and it's definitely a topic that makes you think. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Someone once said that writing a book is like giving birth to an elephant. I'm not sure whether that pertains to the two-year gestation to publish or the fact that it begins with a conceived idea and births as a huge, glorious work of creation. Yeah. All you know is that it was a painful process and it produced a beautiful gift. It's a labor of love and product of discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And what we hope is that our kid, our kid, which if you think about the metaphor being a book, we hope our kid actually does something with their life. And that's what you hope for any book. It's part of the reason why I'm out promoting this book in in a variety of these podcasts right now is COVID. Can you imagine? You mentioned the launch date was May 26th of 2020. Yeah. Couldn't have asked for a worse uh, date. I had a... um, I had a PR person, all hired public relations promoter, and she was going to work. She had me booked on tours. She had all sorts of things going for me. And, you know, I paid her as long as I could because I kept hoping, well, maybe this thing is going to work itself out and we can get back to work. But it didn't. And I realized after going so far with it, there's just no way I can continue to keep doing the way it was done before. And, you know, what she was trying to do was great work, but it was working old school and you know the old the old uh, world if you will and i i realized i had to do it a little bit different so i moved to podcasts and uh you know i give away the book in fact that's what i'd like to do is kind of a 
gift to your your uh, your people out there who are listening to this. If you, uh, uh, I'll leave you a, a link uh, for them, and and if they just click on that link, they can get a free digital copy of the book. And if you like it well enough, go ahead and buy one uh, for yourself. And if you want, buy one for an American friend. You know, you know. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I, Thank yeah. you so much for that, Rick. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. I encourage everybody to go and get that. Too, if you want to find out more about Dr. Rick Cromie, you can visit him at his website, Rick Cromie. That's R-I-C-K-C-H-R-O-M-E-Y.com. He's on Facebook as Rick Cromie Speaker. He also has actually, there's a nice video there um, with regards to the book on your Facebook page mm-hmm. too, under the videos. So uh, Twitter, YouTube. You're also on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience before we leave today? I'm on Instagram, too. Uh, that's oh, that's, right yeah. that's a new one for me. <laughs> no, that's a new one for me. I just did that a few months ago because everybody kept saying, you got to be on Instagram. So, well, yeah. you know, I, I'm of the belief that if you're not there, people can't find you there. And right. uh, if I put content out and I can't tag you there, yeah. <laughs> does it uh, it's just it maximizes your reach if you can be as many places as possible. So, yeah, fantastic. Oh, not to... Last but definitely not least, um, you have a faith-based not-for-profit that people can check out, yeah. and that is Mana Solutions. And it, let's just tell people a little bit about what you do there at Man- with Mana Solutions. Well, a few years ago, I, you know, I basically again in the process of reinventing. I did some missionary work. I, I did some work where I was uh, uh, working overseas and did some different things like that. And I just kind of got into that nonprofit world where I learned how to invite people into my story to give financially to my story, so that I could go and do the work. And in the process, I realized that there was some other things that I wanted to do that my organizations I was working for weren't doing. And so I created MANA Educational Services International, and it's a nonprofit, faith-based Christian organization. Uh, We primarily work with churches and Christian schools and faith-based organizations, but I'll go anywhere. I'll talk anywhere. But MANA basically allows me to have a salary because I have people who give in order that I can go and do things and speak for people and speak for audiences that I normally couldn't do. In fact, I've been to Canada. Uh, I've spoke a couple times in Canada uh, under MANA because, you know, Canadian dollars compared to American dollars are a lot different. And I can go up there and, and, and take less uh, because I have people here that are supporting me. And of course, if there's some Canadians who want to dive in and help me out too, uh, we'd love to have that as well. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It comes out of my, just my faith and uh, a desire to, to keep doing some good in the world. And I work with teachers and leaders, pastors and parents, and just help to improve and transform uh, their lives. What are some of the resources we might find there for anybody who hasn't visited the page yet? Can you just share what uh, you might well, find? Well, MANA is, is primarily, uh, you know, the, the best part about MANA is is I have a, a daily Monday through Friday email that goes out. And you can connect with that at the uh, at the website if you're interested. I have a lot of Canadians who do that already uh, and others as far as international. But I start off with, uh, I think, 
like 10 people on my mailing list. I just kind of had family and friends I put on it. And now we're, we're bumping close to 800, 900 people. And in the nonprofit world, they say that if you can get uh, 10% of the people out there to open your email on any given day, that's, that's great. You're doing really well. Well, we have a 25 to 30% open rate. And I, I attribute that to, to a few things. First of all, we're giving people what they want and need. I want to inspire everybody. I want to, every day I want to find something to inspire you. I want to find something to give you some insight and hopefully build some ideas. But the manna, the man, morning manna, as I like to call it, is, is a gift that comes and it's free. There's no charge to it, but it, it comes and it's, it talks about history. It has a, a part about inspiration and it deals with uh, culture as well as faith. So it all, it all comes together. So if you, if that's something of interest, uh, feel free to sign up. We'd love to have you on our, our journey with us. Excellent. So visit www.manasolutions.org. Manasolutions.org. Yes. Yeah. Rick, thank you very much for being a guest of Online for Authors today. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Jen. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. To get notifications of new releases, subscribe. You can also like, follow, download, and share. If you've enjoyed this, your friends will too.